So my friends, our Bible reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. So this is Paul's letter to the Philippians and he writes, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that although my being with you again, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's when I think about coming to uh, Riverbank here tonight, two things come to my mind. One is it's a great joy to share fellowship with you and it's a great privilege to bring God's word um, today together. Uh, before I um, spend some time in God's word, uh, I thought I might just give you a bit of a reason why I'm preaching this passage today. I'm a chaplain at the Launceston General Hospital. I've been there for a couple of years now. And when I'm there, um, a day doesn't go by where I'm with those who are either dying or grieving. And over those years, um, I've, I've come to see that when people are facing death or grieving the death of their loved ones, there are certain things they seek. Uh, and these are my observations. Uh, people seek comfort in their grief, hope that there's something more, uh, the rest from the anxieties, fears and troubles, and... People seek meaning, that is, people have questions about what, what, what does life matter now? How is life meaningful in the light of death? What did it matter I did all this life and now I'm just going to die? They're, the, they're my observations. And what I want to do today, this sermon is actually a series of one out of four. Um, so what I want to do is to show you from God's word the comfort that is found in Christ in the shadow of death. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing uh, I want to bring to you, just before I preach, because it's important, how you view your future has a profound effect upon how you live in the present. And the problem is that most of us don't give much time to think about our future in Christ. In fact, most of us live as if we're not going to die functionally. That's how we live. Uh, and that's because I think of our secular world, how it shapes us. Uh, I'm hoping that um, today might help us to see 
how glorious our future is so that it truly will affect how we live in the present. Um, at the end of this, I'm giving some opportunity to ask questions. I don't normally do this, and I have a reason for it, is that we don't talk about death. Um, we don't often do that. So I want you to have an opportunity for you. If you want to talk about or have questions um, from the sermon or even what I'm involved with, please um, feel free. And if there's no questions, that's fine. I'm all good with that. Uh, probably a little relief, but, there's all, all, but uh, I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, let me just pray briefly. Lord, we are so thankful today that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path and that we see the glory of Christ Jesus with eyes that understand and believe. Please today, Lord, may we be the good soil. May the Spirit enable us to hear you speak. May we understand by your Spirit May we take your word to heart, believing. And Father, may you produce your promised harvest in our lives through your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we set off in our six-metre boat uh, for a lovely day of fishing off Low Head. At 7.30am in the morning, the Bass Strait uh, was like a mill pond, glassy. I had my two brothers up from, down from Sydney and we were going to enjoy some great fishing. We headed out pretty much about six kilometres out to sea off Port Sorrel, a lovely little reef there, and we were reeling in some of Tasmania's finest fish, uh, nanagai, uh, mowong, mackerel, barracuda, pike, flathead. It was a wonderful time. Now, at 1pm, the wind began to pick up a little bit and the predicted rain began to fall. Now, I knew that rain was coming, uh, but we've got a boat that rain's OK with, but what I did not expect is that the rain would turn into a low-pressure system. And it just hovered over low head. Uh, within 30 minutes, the Bass Strait Mill Pond transformed into a two-metre-plus squall. As the rain came down, it came so hard, we couldn't even see the land. We were, we were absolutely whited out. And the, the vision, I still can see it, of a breaking... Uh, freak wave coming over the bow of our boat. It took all of our breath away. I want to confess to you this afternoon is that at that moment when that wave hit our boat, I was not thinking that death by drowning would be to both mine or my family's advantage. <laughs> I saw death as an enemy. If you are facing the possibility of a life-limiting illness, you are most probably grieving death rather than welcoming it. If you have a loved one whose life is in the balance, you know, you are uncertain as what the outcome's going to be, you will not be looking to death as your friend, but as your enemy. So why in the world would the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, say these words? For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Right? To describe our impending death or the death of a loved one as a gain, it, it feels repulsive. It's like trying to unite two negative magnets together. Now, if Paul is referring to death as a state of non-existence, that is, a state of nothingness, then this divine statement makes no sense at all. Right? But he's not. He's actually referring to life. 
The life of the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ provides for the Christian both in life and in death. To be clear, when the Bible does speak about death, these, these are the words it uses. Sorrow, enemy, grieve, wept, and the like. Let me give you an example. Just in the very next chapter of Philippians, when the Apostle Paul uh, is faced with the possibility of his friend Epaphras dying, uh, listen to the words he says. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. See, for the Apostle Paul, the death of Epaphrodites would mean sorrow upon sorrow. And the reason why, with death comes terrible loss. And in fact, if you'd read his letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 4 of his first letter, he says to, to, to that church concerning their Christian brothers and sisters who have died, he says, we grieve, but not as those without hope. We grieve. And in John chapter 11, you'll be very familiar with when Christ Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he sees everybody weeping, he weeps. And there, incredibly, we have a vision of the Son of God, God himself, grieving in the midst of death. I think most importantly, when the Bible speaks about death, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it speaks of death as an enemy to be overcome, not as a friend to be embraced. So please don't, don't hear me wrong tonight. The statement that Paul makes, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is not making light the awful reality of death. It's not teaching us to embrace death. It's not an encouragement for us to escape life at all. It's a statement about the radical difference that the presence of Christ makes to the life and death of a believer. So when Paul wrote this letter, the, Philippian, the letter to the Philippians, he was in a Roman prison. Right. The reality is he's uncertain as to whether he'll be released or executed by the Romans. He has no choice in the matter. Right. His chief concern was to honour Christ, whether he lives or he dies. So when he considers the prospect of being released by the Romans, he says, for me to live is Christ. That is... He's thinking all the service he could do in his life for Christ. He would use his time, his talents and his treasure to advance God's kingdom in his church. Now, by the way, this is just a very brief aside, but isn't it interesting that when the Apostle Paul, what he does, he equates living life with living for Christ. They're one and the same thing. To live is Christ, he says. But then, when he considers the possibility of execution at the hands of the Romans, he says, and to die is gain. Now, this is a question we've got to ask tonight, and it's this. What could Paul possibly gain from death? The gain that the Apostle Paul speaks about is not a gain for his personal self. It's the gain that every Christian, including all of us here tonight, and every Christian throughout all generations, has. It's something, quite frankly, is so easily to pass over that often we give little thought to it. And whether we acknowledge it or not, this gain is the one thing that meets our unfulfilled need for joy. 
It's the gain of living in the unshielded presence of the exalted and glorified Christ. That's the gain. Paul tells us in verses 22 to 23, I'll reread it and pick it up with me. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labour for me. To live is Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and, here it is, be with Christ, which is better by far. To be with Christ immediately is what Paul would gain from execution. What this would mean for Paul is that he would experience the euphoric joy, and I mean this, the the, the joy that is indescribable of living in the very presence of the one who he met on the road to Damascus. But this time it's going to be very different. The reason being, as opposed to when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he will see the Lord Jesus as he is. In his unshielded glory. But not only that, Paul, having been made perfect, would be like him. Now, while Paul says that being with Christ is better by far, our struggle tonight, including myself, is we just don't understand just how much better, how far better that will be. And and the reason being, it's understandable, is we lack a reference point to compare eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ with our present life. Like, how can you compare the joyful euphoria that we'll experience when we come into the presence of Jesus in in, in his perfected and glorified state. What can we compare that with here? See, the person who is with Christ sees God in his unobscured glory of all his perfections. Just imagine it. The great majesty, the almighty power, the infinite wisdom, the perfect holiness, the abounding grace, the immeasurable love. All that is of God we will see in unobscured glory. We will talk with Christ. We will fellowship with Christ. And incredibly, we will reign with Christ. Because the distance that once existed between Christ and us is no more. The deformity and the darkness of sin has been forever removed. We will be presented to the throne pure and blameless. Here's the best illustration I can bring to you. If you were to think right at this moment of the happiest moment in your life, would you think about it? The happiest moment. And then you were to compare this with the joy of being in the presence of Christ... It will be like comparing the flame of a match to a bushfire. The joy you know today is a shadow of what is awaiting you in eternal life. Now, while we have no reference point to compare this present life in Christ with our future life in Christ, the Apostle Paul did. See, in the second letter to the Corinthians, he recounts the time he was caught up to heaven. Let me read it to you. This is from 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is speaking. I know of a man in Christ who for 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of a body, I do not know. God knows. 
And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from a body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, Paul's using the third person there, and reason being, he doesn't want the Corinthians to think more of him than they ought to. He's humbling himself. It's clearly his experience. So I think it's fair to say that while the Apostle Paul, he doesn't know the full extent of the joy and glory of heaven, he actually at least experienced a taste of it. He's been in the presence of Christ. He knows that the glory of life to come is far outweighs than the glory of life on this earth. Can you begin to see why the Apostle Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? If you are a Christian and facing the possibility of a life-limiting illness... Take hold of the comfort that God extends to you this afternoon. The gift of eternal life far outweighs the loss of his present life. May you find comfort in the knowledge that when you die, you'll be with Christ immediately. You will experience the unprecedented joy of seeing Christ in the glory of God himself. Your sin has obscured your present experience of the presence of Christ. See, the remnants of sin still burdens all of us. Spiritual blindness, darkness, futility, distorted judgments, perversity, defiance, hardness, impurity. None of those things are fully eradicated from our lives today. They're on the way, but they're not fully eradicated. But take heart. The day is coming when all such residue of sin will be fully eradicated. When you die, you'll not only see the Lord Jesus as he is, talking with him and fellowship with him, but you will do it in a state of purity and perfection. Hallelujah! The joy, the blessing. Friends, what peace, what glory, what joy awaits you. Do not think that your illness is a sign that the Lord has abandoned you or is punishing you. Far from it. You are ill because you are living in a broken world with a broken body. But praise God, he will deliver you from both. Keep resting your faith in the Lord Jesus. Keep turning your heart away from sin. Keep repenting. Keep trusting Christ to be your righteousness, your holiness and your redemption. Your faith in Christ is never in vain. For as the Apostle John tells us, in him is eternal life. If this afternoon you are mourning or grieving the loss of your Christian loved one, then receive the comfort that Christ extends to you this afternoon your Christian mother or father, your Christian husband or wife, your Christian daughter or son, your Christian sister or brother, your Christian grandchild, great-grandchild, your Christian friend is not disadvantaged through death. What they now experience in the presence of Christ is beyond description. 
They are with Christ and live in the glory that Christ has prepared for them. Yes, we grieve the death of our loved ones, rightly so, because in death we experience such incredible, deep and painful loss. But they have not experienced a loss. For them to die is gain. Can you see that the fruit of faith in Christ is comfort, peace? Not only, because not only are our Christian friends and Christian loved ones at peace with God, but one day we too will see them again in glory. And the good news is that our relationship with them then will not be like it is now. See, just as we will experience perfect fellowship with Christ in glory, so we'll experience perfect fellowship with one another. Don't you long for the day when you don't have to ask for forgiveness? I do. Don't you long for the day when you don't have to give forgiveness? I do. No more tension. No more frustration. And here's one of the big ones. No more loneliness. Do you remember in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus makes the comment to the Sadducees that there's no marriage in heaven? Why is that? Because there's no loneliness in heaven. Everything is good. Yes, we grieve and mourn the loss of our Christian loved ones. But we should not grieve as if there's no hope in death. They are alive. More than that, they are with Christ and basking in the presence of his eternal glory. And one day, you will be reunited with them. My grandfather, uh, Claude Pitt, was a man of faith. And his life... Um, it's an understatement to say was not without trouble or grief. Uh, when his wife Dorothy gave birth to their first child, Margaret, my mother, they were filled with joy. Uh, the previous number of years had been very difficult. Um, they were married in a depression. Uh, they experiencing the outbreak of World War II. Uh, Claude's sister is suffering a most incredible mental illness. And Dorothy's sister, Winnie, lost a child recently at childbirth. And now he was the birth of a young daughter to bring some light into, into the world. But their joy soon turned to grief. Because what Claude and Dorothy did not know is that soon after she gave birth, uh, Dorothy gave birth to my mother, her internal organs were failing. In a matter of weeks, seizures began. Pneumonia set in and within four weeks, Dorothy was dead. And while Claude was overwhelmed with grief, he did not grieve as if there's no hope after death. Because as he stood at the graveside and watched the coffin descending into the grave, these were his final words to his wife. Until we meet again. That was not mere sentimentality. That was faith. Claude knew that he would see his beloved Dorothy in glory. This brought him great comfort in his grief. My sisters and brothers here this afternoon, all of us suffer from an old disease of the heart, and it's called the troubles of the heart. Between now and glory, all of us will experience many and various troubles. 
Often our troubles come partly because of inward problems and outward problems, partly because of what we love and partly because of what we fear. Our hearts can be very troubled, but especially in the times when we're facing death or when we're suffering grief, even as Christians. What is the remedy for our troubled hearts? It's faith in Christ. That's the prescription that Jesus himself gives us in John 14. Trust in God, trust also in me. May the pain, the grief, the suffering and the trouble you will experience under the shadow of death lead you to believe in Christ more thoroughly. Trust in him more entirely. Rest in his power more unreservedly and lean into his love more completely. Let me lead you in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today for your gentleness, patience and love to each one of us. We thank you that you understand our brokenness, our weakness, our trouble and our suffering. And Father, we thank you that you do not desert us in such time, but you truly bring to us that comfort, hope and rest we need. Father, we ask today, in your mercy and grace, may we suffer in Christ. Please give to each of one of us a deeper faith, a deeper humility, that whenever we're faced with the troubles of this world, we would rest in Christ and take hold of the promises you've given to us. Father, I pray for anyone here tonight who is suffering terribly from grief. May the comfort that is found in you be theirs in ample and overwhelming abundance. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.